Today in the show, we're talking about how much you need to retire. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney, I'm your host, and today I'm joined with my co-host Trevor, and we're discussing a topic that pretty much touches everyone. So when I talk about like I'm going to retire early, people are so hesitant to ask this question, but the people I'm close to or, or, or I work with, they will eventually ask me, like, how much do you need to retire? It's almost like asking somebody, how much do you make? Because what you're asking is somebody is, how much do you plan to live off of, right? And that gives a little glimpse into your, your financial picture, which, I, again, a lot of people are, are very reluctant to share that information with close friends and family, but they'll go share it with a stranger, like a financial planner, but not their family, which I think is crazy. But it's this question everybody has. And even if they haven't asked it out loud, I guarantee you the question is in their head, how much do you need to retire? And we're going to address that today. To lead into the subject matter, and I mean, I find it interesting too. I'm the farthest thing from being of the, I don't even want to say the age, but the place of retirement. But I still find it such an interesting topic and to, to the point that to the points that you were just mentioning there that is this this almost this taboo subject that we kind of don't feel like we can broach but at the same time it's the subject that or it's this 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 place that we're all going to enter we're all going to enter that retirement stage in our lives at some point and we all I think have that burning question on our minds well you know there's a I wish somebody would have said to me that give given me this advice when I was young your age I wish they would have said, don't think you can do this for 30 years. It will get old really fast. I wish somebody would have told me that at some point. And even if you're in a career that you're very passionate about and you enjoy, you will get tired of solving the problems associated with that career eventually. And I, I really went in in my 20s, thought, you know, I'm going to lock into a career and I will do this. You know, I could do this forever. But it really gets old at a certain point. So in saying that, was planning for retirement something that was even on your kind of horizon at, at any level? Or, or when did that kind of that conversation come into play between you and your wife about let's, let's talk about retirement? You know, it was probably my late 20s, early 30s. I said, you know what, I'm, I think I'm going to want out of this. I'm going to want the option to get out of this early. And, and that's when we started working a plan to get out at 55. That was our goal. So we have people, I mean, listeners listening to us today for this episode who maybe they're, they're on track to retire at maybe the traditional age of 65. Is this episode, are we, are we gearing it towards any specific age? I mean, you're retiring at 55 for any kind of new listeners who are just joining us today, but it's, can everyone pull something away from this regardless of the age they want to retire at? So that's a really good question. So just say, you want to retire early and just say you pick 55, then you're going to have to live a dramatically different lifestyle than all the, the mass of people who are generally going to retire at 65. So, so don't think you can do exactly what everybody else is doing and have a different outcome at the end. It doesn't work that way. So if in fact you want to retire early, then you, you need to be doing the opposite of what everybody else is doing. You know, it could, you know, buying new cars, large houses, expensive vacations, whatever everyone else is doing. If you're doing the same, just assume you're not going to be able to retire until the traditional age of 65. And even that could be a challenge. But just just know that if you're living the same life of your neighbors, your coworkers, 
your family, your friends who all maybe don't have a retirement plan at all. They're just going to hit 65 and say, okay, I, I can't do this anymore. If you're doing what all those people are doing, assume 65 is going to be the most realistic option for you. And, and that's what you have to be. Our, our tagline is deliberate lifestyle choices. If you want to retire early, you have to be deliberate about it. It's not going to happen by accident or by chance. You have to do things in your day-to-day life that support you ending work early. Ooh, I like that. That is so, that's so powerful. We always talk about doing things, like you said, that doing things no one else is doing to, to get to achieve things that no one else is achieving. And, and that is so powerful. And, and it, it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that almost sounds like the, the entire basis of, we always kind of ask, what's that why that's going to keep you pushing forward in your direction and the goals, doing things that align with your goals. And that kind of, and, and that, that kind of summary that you, you just kind of spoke, that really speaks to, I think, what has pushed you to do and, and do all the things you've done to get you to this point. And here's another piece of advice I wish I would have got. And I'm just coming to realize it now as I'm approaching. I'm about two and a half, about two years out from retirement of age 55. And I, I have a magic number I'm working toward that the math says I need this, this number. And we're going to get into the numbers a little later in the episode. But as, as I get closer and closer to the number, I've, I'm finding my tolerance for, for problem solving at work starts to wane and, and my motivation is, 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 is dropping. And it's, it's not my typical, how I've conducted myself in the workplace. I've always been a highly motivated person, love solving problems. And the closer I get to my magic number, the, the less motivated I am. And I don't like who I'm becoming while I'm doing that. And I would love anybody who's been through this, this window of time I'm describing to, to give me some advice on how to, how to cope and manage this, this, this final home stretch because it's 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 harder than you think oh it's so close it, you can almost taste it it's, it's right there in the grand scheme of things but at the same time i don't want to go out uh, of my working career on on a uh, a down note i, w- I want to go out on like really giving my all but I, i'm finding it hard to be motivated each with each passing day wow yeah in bet so Trevor, I, I before we do jump into kind of the core of today's episode, why do you think, if you could kind of theoreticize, why do you think we are so afraid of of talking about how much you need to retire in society when, again, like I said at the beginning of the show, this is something we all go through? Well, it's twofold. So one is, like I said earlier, people don't like to share their financial details with anybody which I, I think is so wrong and the other one is your retirement hopefully is going to last about 30 years and there's a lot of moving pieces in that 30-year window and you're going to change as a person dramatically over the course of those 30 years it, it the the last 30 years of your life are almost like the first 30 years where you go through a lot of change from birth to age 30 i mean the the change there is dramatic and from what i've observed from say age 65 to 30 years out, you go downhill, you know, you, you get old and eventually pass away. Uh, there's a lot of change going on there too. So with all those moving pieces, I think there's a, a hesitation to really say, yeah, this is the number. And you do reach a point where you can no longer earn money. I mean, you reach a certain age where you just, even if you had the energy and physical ability, you, you've lost the market ability to go out and earn an income. And would you say that 
there's always this fear maybe lingering in the back of our minds that we haven't quite figured out what that magic number is or we haven't quite figured we can kind of only reflect back maybe when we're 30 years at post-retirement and say yes that actually was the amount I needed well if only we knew that our our death we know our birth date if we only knew our death date which is very morbid and I, I wouldn't want to know it but just if we did then it would just be pure math right you could just do math on the this problem but the the problem is we don't know how long we're going to live that that is the the misnomer, right? We and so we're always going to err on the side of caution, or want to err on the side of caution because we just don't. We we could live to be ninety five and beaten, you know, canned dog food because we ran out of money. That that'd be a horrible outcome. So people tend to end up leaving an inheritance to their dependents because they they played it cautious, and I'm probably going to do the same thing. So I, I kind of want to dive in now into kind of talking about the fundamentals of just tackling this question of how much do you need to retire? So walk me through kind of the starting point, I, 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 what I would call the starting point. And uh, yeah, what, what does that look like? So I, I've come up with a system. So most people, if, if you just said how much you need to retire, people are looking for a single number. And I like to work in ranges of numbers. And so I've broken down my my retirement. So start with, you think of retirement, you have to think of retirement expenses. Don't think of retirement income. Be, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for that, but think of what kind of expenses you're going to have in retirement. And I like to break it into three buckets. And, and later in, I'm going to show you where this really comes into to, to effect. But So the first bucket of my expenses is my survival expenses. So these are my retirement survival expenses. This is what keeps me from being a homeless person. So survival expenses, just the basic necessities of life. We're talking food, uh, utilities. Survival expenses are going to look different for every person, but just figure out what your survival expenses are. And if you have a documented budget, this becomes real easy because you just got to look at your budget and see what you've historically spent. And so I'm going to throw out a number. Just say it's $25,000 a year. Those are your basic survival expenses. This is what keeps you from being homeless. So just that's a number, $25,000. And then you, the next bucket would be your comforts of life expenses. This, these are the expenses that make life easy. The, the, this is you having a reliable car. This is you having, uh, you know, something to watch on TV. The, the, this is the things that make life easy. So you go, obviously, if you just had survival expenses and that's all the money you had, life would be hard. So you add in comfort of life expenses. And again, everybody else is going to choose a different comfort of life expense. But, And then the third bucket is the luxuries of life expenses. This is what, this is international travel. This is a sports car in the driveway. This is a motorcycle. Whatever your luxury items would be. And this is something, so let's just say the comforts of life, just say it's $20,000 a year. And just say the luxuries of life, uh, is is another $15,000 a year just just to cover those expenses. So you you end up seeing a range, you know, so if you're contemplating retiring early, you start to see okay, I can't stop until I have a passive income that will give me $25,000 a year minimum to cover my survival expenses. And then my luxury expenses that that I add another say $15,000 for comfort, another $15,000 for luxury uh, expenses, 
then you, you can see you can sort of see I have a range. So so how long do I want to work? It, do I really? It, it's sort of a trade off between maybe working a job you're not really enjoying and how bad do you really want those comforts and luxuries of life, right? How much of those do you want? So you end up with this this range of how much I need. So you you got to start with a minimum. There's no sense stop working until you you've met all your survival expenses. But then you can start to layer on top how much of a comfortable life do you want? And then if you can cover that, then how much of a luxurious life do you want? I mean, if you're in a career that you just love, you might work till you're 70 and, and, and you'll have be able to cover all your luxury expenses without a problem. I absolutely love um, this range. It, it gives you so much flexibility and to kind of decide where you want to be. When did you develop this kind of these, this three stage range system and, uh, and and how and, and and why is it something that's uh, heavily represented in the personal finance world? Well, as I've been saving for early retirement, it seemed like this huge target that was so overwhelming that that it was it was almost un- demotivating. So I ended up saying, well, let's break this down into smaller pieces. And then once I've reached my, I've got enough money in investments to cover my survival expenses, well, then I, I'm, I've kind of reached a plateau and it's kind of a, uh, I, I love having smaller plateaus as, as I'm mo- moving along the journey of life that I can celebrate. So once I reached having enough passive income to cover my survival expenses, I started to, you know, dial in what retirement might look like and then what kind of comforts do I want? So you can kind of digest your retirement plans as you start to build your your nest egg. So in terms of looking at kind of the three ranges, I don't, I don't know if this is too personal a question, but have you, have you delved into, into kind of working towards um, the, the third range? So luxury life expenses, is that something that you're heavily including within your retirement plan? I, I'm not. So I, I threw that in there because for some people that's important to have a boat or a sports car or a motorcycle it's not something that interests me. And I don't know that early retirement and luxury lifestyle really go hand in hand. For some people, they might. For me, it, it would to cover those those kind of luxury items like a boat, uh, a motorcycle, or a sports car, th- those kind of toys in life, I think it would have required me to work another five or 10 years. And at the, I, I, I'm just not interested enough in those type of things to motivate me to, to put in those ex- that extra time. And looking at kind of the this range system that you created, does this, I, I can imagine, but from your perspective, does this make retiring and, and, and meeting those numbers a lot more manageable? I mean, you talked about how there's these plateaus. So, I mean, from my perspective, it, it must be, bite-sized pieces are always more manageable than kind of looking at the big, big grand picture. But at what point did you did you kind of feel that maybe sense of relief when when you're like you know what this isn't actually as kind of intimidating as as I once maybe thought or as as it is in, as it is created kind of in society well it was just it, it helped to motivate me to continue to you know why am i doing this and i it was just a an incentive reaching small plateaus you get these small wins it it, it just created motivation so uh, let's. So those are kind of the three kind of stages, which I absolutely love, and and what kind of where you can reach for in those. But what other 
considerations should we be thinking of when we are determining kind of our cost base for retirement? So when you're looking at your cost base, so you, you, you can't just sort of look at your historical spending because your, your retirement life is going to look different financially. So I've kind of come up with 10 considerations in determining your retirement cost base. So the first consideration you have listed here is is kind of thinking about what costs will remain in your life in retirement. Yeah, so your retirement life is you're going to it's going to look different. So you're not going to have any commuting related costs. So for instance in my life, I happen to have two cars in my driveway because me and my wife both work. In retirement, we're going to have one car. So that's going to cut our costs dramatically. You got you got half the insurance. You're going to and then you're commuting, you're driving to work. So you got you, that regular driving is there's a, a fuel cost associated with that. And then there's just a wear and tear in your car. So your cars are going to probably last longer. You're going to have less fuel costs. Just from a transportation standpoint, your retirement life will look dramatically different. Now, let's just say you work in an office where you have to wear, you know, dress clothes. Then uh, I'm not going to say you're not going to have any dress clothes, but you your wardrobe of clothes is going to be dramatically different you're going to have more casual clothes so you you won't be buying and replacing and replenishing a a, a, a closet full of fancy clothes that that, that goes away or, or dress shoes and those kind of things and i think you you end up and this is me talking to and watching people who are retired i think you're when you work 40 hours 50 hours a week you, you kind of feel you you deserve some entertainment, so you might you might spend uh, a more frivolously on theaters and, and going out for dinner and and, and socializing in, in sort of a, a way to sort of get therapy from from maybe the way your 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 job is grinding you down. And I think you, so when I go grocery shopping right now, I'm just trying to get it done because I I mean I'm working, I'm, I'm trying to get my groceries, just get them done, get some meat, food on the table. And I think in retirement, you can maybe do a bit more price shopping and be a little more budget sensitive there. So I just think in retirement, your cost base, your historical, your historical spending is not going to be a good indicator of your, your retirement spending. I, I think you, you have to layer on top some other mythology that, that it's going to look different. And it, this is me, again, observing people and asking people, you know, what changes in retirement. So there's a couple assumptions within this first point that I'm just kind of thinking about as, as you're describing this point. And the first is that you're assuming that the retired individual is going to decrease their spending habits or not take on any, what I call maybe life luxury life expenses. Well, no, I'm talking about your, your just your survival expenses would change in, in retirement. But then could you argue that this point could also cater to um, two and three of, of the bucket? So comfort, life expenses, and then the luxury as well. Well, I'm going to say, you, you know, you probably are going to be searching for less comforts in life in retirement in that, again, you're not... Uh, working 40 or 50 hours a week and then looking for entertainment or things to distract you when you're not working. And, and I guess the second assumption, because I, I don't, I'm just, I'm not convinced of this point. My second assumption is that you're assuming that the philosophies, the personal finance philosophies that you've practiced still stand in retirement. 
So you're saying that if you, you Trevor, live a a frugal life, um, and you, you you're not constantly you you don't you don't tend to eat out. So you're saying that in retirement, you will continue doing those things. So you won't have this massive kind of uprising and in, in, in all these things you never did uh, post retirement. So again, uh, when I say your your the costs in your in your retirement life will look different than your working life, I'm just talking about survival expenses, not so. It, my comforts of life expenses may go up in retirement and I would have to plan for that, but my survival expenses would go down. And I, 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 so from that perspective, that is, I think that's a great consideration because it's not one that you would assume firsthand when you are thinking about retirement, because again, these survival expenses are, are like you said, not something you kind of really examine that closely. You're, I mean, you, you always are kind of thinking about, oh, that my car or, or that vacation, but kind of, we, we sometimes don't stop to think about those actual survival expenses, food on my table, clothes on my back. So that's number one. The second consideration is that you shouldn't have any debt payments. I don't think anyone should retire with debt. It just, it doesn't make sense at all. If if anything, if you think about, you have this, most people would have saved up a big pool of money for retirement. And if they retire with a great big pool of debt, I would think that you'd want to use your pool of retirement money to extinguish your pool of debt or sell the assets associated with that debt. Either way, I don't think you should be, I don't think you should plan to be making payments on anything in retirement. Unless, of course, you you get a you have a pension check, I guess maybe, but it just it doesn't make sense to have that financial risk in your life when you no longer have in uh, an income. All you've got is your savings to live off of. So this point, and I'm sure all the considerations we and let me give you an example here. So let's just say I bor- I borrowed money to buy cars. Just say that's something I did in retirement. I would pay cash for a car with my retirement savings. I, w- I wouldn't borrow money to buy a car. No, and, and that makes sense. And again, it, I, that is, again, de- deemed that you have the, the, the money set aside uh, for, for luxury life expenses or, or whether maybe it's a comfort of life expense depending on the, on the vehicle. So, so Trevor, this point, number two, and I think all the considerations we will talk about, really what, what I'm getting from them already is, is how we need to consider all of these considerations far, far before we, we plan to retire. So I, I'm thinking individuals in their 20s and 30s, I mean, the the part about you shouldn't have any debt payments, I mean, how at what point in your personal life did you kind of start doing the math and making sure that everything would be paid off prior to retirement? Because that's not by accident. I, I can 100% assume it's not by accident. I'm assuming that you... There's some careful kind of calculations in there and to just to make everything kind of piece together. So I was debt free at age 45 and that, that wasn't by accident or by luck. That was by, that was planned. Cause again, uh, if, if, if I did all the math, you know, out into eight to age 55, I needed those 10 years to put my kids through post-secondary education and continue to save for retirement. So I became debt-free at that age, and it was very deliberate. So I want to talk about the third consideration, and it, it kind of 
is in line with the second consideration. But um, the third one is you won't have any savings requirements. So if you think about your your let your pre-retirement life, I mean your you're raising kids, you're paying mortgages, you're buying cars, all these things. So you've, you've been living off far less of your income your whole life, plus you're saving for retirement. So the, the disposable income that has been left for you for your whole life has been, it's been so, such a small number if, if a lot of these expenses go away in retirement. So that, that's why number one is, what costs are going to remain, to remain in retirement? So if you look at your historical spending, you, you were making mortgage payments, you were putting kids through school, you were making car payments, you were uh, buying your kids clothes, you were uh, saving for retirement. So all those those things that were putting a drain on your income, a lot of them are going to go away. So the amount of income that you actually lived off your whole life, why couldn't you continue to live off that income in retirement? You know well, what's changed there, right? You're, what what needs are going to come up? I, I get when you get older, you're going to need maybe a nursing home or a retirement home. I have a strategy for that too, but you've been living off less than dramatically. The disposable income that you've been living off your whole life is 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 less than you think. So you're not going to need all of a sudden this huge boost of money in retirement. Wow, that like that. When you said that, it, it it's such it's it makes sense, but it's this very unique, novel idea that you don't really think of. Because when you picture retirement, you picture I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be living my life just not earning income. But you do forget that there's a lot of those those costs that are gonna go away. So I love that point. So so that's point number three. Point number four is you won't be supporting your children. And so this is twofold. One is you can't look at your historical spending and project into the future how much you're going to spend in retirement in that you've been supporting your kids and a lot of your expenses, they kind of get clouded by maybe supporting your children. Again, this is if you're retiring early. If you've been an empty nester for a while, you probably got a good snapshot of how much you spend without children. But also I'm seeing you can't retire early or you can't retire and support your children. It becomes, again, if you're, if your children are needing monthly or weekly money from you to, to survive, so you're supporting your child's lifestyle, I don't like your chances of retiring, I'll say early, or funding a, a retirement if you have that extra dra- drag on your, inc- your retirement income. I feel like this point specifically is... Is one that is common. It would correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like it is a common. We we hear we I think we've done an episode in the past two before, um, talking about money going between generations for the purchase of homes and, and things like that. Maybe the the purchase of cars. So th- this point it it sounds pretty common, but do you really think that this point could be a deal breaker, or a game changer? If if not if not considered. So I'm not suggesting you don't help your children financially. That's I, I do that and I plan to do that going forward. But ongoing funding of one's child's lifestyle on a monthly or regular occurrence, meaning you're every month you're supplementing their rent or you're paying their insurance on their car or you're 
you're, you're, you're funding some aspect of their life. I they saying that does not work in retirement. You, you can't build that into your retirement plan. No. And, and that is fair. So that's number four. Number five is you should relocate to a low cost region. This point, I'm very, very curious to hear what you have to say about this one. So I live in a town about an hour east of Toronto, a little wee town. And the number of people that retire to this town and go on and on about how cheap the real estate is here is, is astounding. And then I know people that live in my little town that move even further east because of lower cost housing. So I think if, I think everyone should do this. They, it's, they should, if you don't need to live in a metropolitan city and, and you don't need all the expenses associated with living in a metropolitan city, then you shouldn't. You, you sh- if you don't need a job and you don't need to be cl- you know, within commuting distance to where there, there's a lot of employment, you could save a ton of money and, and reduce your cost base dramatically if you move to a lower cost area. So I highly recommend this to everybody. I plan to do it myself. So relocating to a low cost region, I mean, that's that's subjective because you're saying that individuals who live in your your town are relocating to to an even lower cost uh, region. So at what point at what point do you know that making uh, the move to the, to relocate is 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 positive or needed even? Well, I think if, if if you're struggling to, you know, come up with a retirement financial retirement plan, this is a consideration. If so it's a, so if, it's a lever you can pull is what you're saying. Absolutely, yes, it's a lever you can pull. And I think when we talk about relocating to a low-cost region, region aside, we can even talk about relocating to a lower-cost place of living. I mean, you can you can kind of go crazy with with condos and expensive i mean i there is a stigma i at least i think there is where when you retire you that is your time to live large you have been you've been working and grinding it out and and now you're finally free and you're gonna you're gonna live in that five hundred thousand dollar condo nothing wrong with that price and it's just throwing that number out there but you're gonna you're gonna live in that condo and you're gonna drive that fancy like there's this there's just this i think aura around living large because you're you're free of your your working commitments. Well, I, I think that that is a retirement I've I've seen people live. It's not it's not a road I'm planning on going down. And I know retired people that aren't living the lifestyle you're describing. So I I, I think to each their own. No, yes, definitely. But when it does come to the is I guess the relocation of of where you're actually living, so house, condo, apartment. Is that as important, do you think, as actually physically moving to a different town, city, um, province? Well, like you said, I think it's a lever. I, I know, I, I not that I would do this, but I did look into this. There's a, there's a, a community of Canadians that live in Ecuador, which is a, a country in South America. And apparently you can live there for pennies on the dollar. You take your Canadian dollars down there and, and you could live and you could buy a really nice home and live like a king down there for a, a, a fraction of what it would cost you to live in Canada. Now, I, I don't know, maybe that it's not as safe. Maybe they don't have the same health care. I, I didn't look at all that details, but I, it was an interesting article I read. It's called Geo-Arbitrage. So you earn all your wealth in a in a very prosperous country like Canada, and then you retire in a sort of a very low-cost country like Ecuador. 
So that, that's extreme. I, I don't know that I would do that. One of the things you would do is you would have given your whole family a vacation destination, which would be kind of neat. Yeah, that's that's a really, really great idea. Or it's fascinating. I mean, something worth looking into. So uh, the next point, number six, this one it kind of caught me when I was uh, going through a list of considerations. And number six is don't plan for the worst. So this is the advice that was given to me because I'm, I'm a very cautious person. And it, I, you can't get to a place of being able to try at 55 and, and then all of a sudden think you're going to become financially inept and, and you will lose your financial mind in retirement and your money is just going to run out in 10 years. So the, the, the advice I was given to me was you're going to for sure have un, 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 unfortunate events occur in your life. Why do you think for a minute that they would not be offset by unanticipated benefits coming into your life? So for for everything that could go wrong, and you know, I tend to think just focus on all the things that could go wrong. I never give any thoughts to the things that might go better than I thought. You know, the, the I'm planning for the worst possible uh, financial market situation. Well, who's to say we're not going to be on this incredible run when I'm in retired where? There's just money falling from the sky in the financial markets. So I, I think don't don't plan for the worst because the worst hasn't showed up yet, right? I, I've been planning for the worst. I'm kind of a pessimist that way. <laughs> I, I kind of, you know, always waiting for the other shoe to drop type of thing. And I, I think you, 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 can't, you can't get to a place of, for me, of early retirement and think I'm going to all of a sudden forget how to be resourceful how to figure things out. Like if you get to the point where you can retire at all, even at 65, if you can get to that place, you, you're probably developed a lot of resourcefulness to get to that point. Don't think that you're just going to become stupid overnight. So don't plan for the worst. Plan for things to just work out. Some things might not. Other things might work out better than you thought. So I feel like this this point in particular it's kind of it's kind of a tough pill to swallow if you are of the personality where you are you're just trying to kind of account for everything that could See, possibly that's where happen. It falls down. Oh, I know, I know. Oh, for you sure. You can't account for everything, and if you did, you'd be working till you're seventy. Oh, and even yeah. then, you might not have it all covered. But I, but I feel like this point. That's why I think it's so powerful that this this was in your list of considerations is because it's kind of that by you saying that it's the kind of this this voice of reassurance that you know what <laughs> all the worst things ever are not going to happen to you and it, because like you said they haven't all happened yet and and you've been living 65 years if you retired then or 55 years whatever your magic number is now if just say bad luck just just say a cloud follows you over your head everywhere you go in you just things never work out for you ever then maybe you should plan for things to continue to not work out for you in retirement. But if that's not you, if things for the most part work out as you had hoped in life, then just assume they're going to work out in retirement life. Ooh, I like that. As you had hoped because you you set expectations and, and you do certain things and, and those result in certain outcomes. Here's one that's quite common is, is people's health. They worry about their health. So if you have been in poor health most of your adult life, meaning you are on a ton of medication, you have had, uh, you know, a bunch of illnesses, 
then assume that retirement is going to play out in a similar way, maybe even worse. But if you've been relatively healthy and not medicated much and, you know, not had many accidents and, and, and you've just been the, I'll say not the picture of health, but relatively healthy, then why wouldn't you think that's going to continue retirement? Now, sure, you could contract a horrible illness that costs a fortune. You could. Would you work till 70 just because that could happen? For me, no. I'm going to assume my health is, I've been in, I'm going to say above average health as an adult. I'm going to assume in retirement, I'm going to be in above average health in retirement. I like that. Kind of the optimistic, realistic uh, viewpoint. So that's number six. Number seven is that your research has determined you need less money than you think. So this is me. So you know how I said people don't like to share their financial details with you. So I get that. And I'm not going to ask somebody, you know, how much money do you spend every year in retirement? I don't ask that question because what I've found is nobody's willing to answer that question. (laughs) But the question I do ask is, did you, are you spending as much money as you thought you were going to in retirement? And I get this consistently from everybody. No, I just spend dramatically less than I thought I would in retirement. Now, if any listener wants to write in with a a different story, I'd love to hear it because I want to continue to build on my research. But I I would say I've talked to, I'm going to say no exaggeration, 20, 25 retired people over the years and ask that very question. Do you, so it's kind of a twofold question. I said, do you spend less in retirement than you did when you were working? And they say, absolutely. That that is, I get that. That's 100% yes. And then I ask people, do you spend less than you thought you would in retirement? So two, two different questions, but kind of going for the same area. And they, I almost, I'm going to say 95% say yes. I spend less than I thought I would have in retirement. So what are the reasons behind that? Do you think, or have you kind of got more explanations um, in, in asking these questions? So the few people that would share the details, they were planning for the worst. Hmm. That was it. You know, here's, here's one, and I, I, I can't think of three people here. Their cars are lasting longer than they had anticipated. So they were assuming they were going to go through cars like they did when they were working. Of course, they were commuting to work, right? So car gets miled out faster, gets becomes unreliable sooner. So they, most of the, uh, most of the people I talked to, their car, they get more life out of their car than they thought they were going to. So that was an expense they had planned for incorrectly right? Because they, they didn't assume they were going to drive less. They also, again, they were planning for the worst. They got better market returns on their investments than they had thought. So things like that. So I just think everyone I've, I've yet to talk to somebody who honestly tells me, yeah, retirement's more expensive than I thought. I, 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 I'm yet to get that answer from somebody. And, and number eight kind of goes hand in hand with, with, uh, spending less money than you think. Number eight, Eight is statistically you spend 2% less past the age of 65. This is a stat I, I've looked up and I've found it in different places, but it's a pretty common stat that once you hit age 65, your annual spending goes down 2% per year with every passing year. And the theory is you, you, you're less active. So you're, you're, you're going out less, you're less adventurous, you're you're just doing less. So obviously if, if, if you don't do things, it's not going to cost you money. 
I can see the logic in this. It's going to be different for everybody. I, I'm saying I'm a, I consider myself above average health. So for me, the number might be 70. So once I hit age 70, I might start to really slow down. You're going to, you're just going to travel less. You're even when you travel, you're going to do less on your vacation just because you don't have the same energy level like you did when you were 20. So that's the theory. And, and just say on clothes, like I know my, my parents, they kind of wear the same clothes. They're not out searching for the latest fashion. So there's an example where the older you get, you kind of get comfortable with a certain pair of shoes and you just stay with them, you know, and you're, you may, that's why I, I kind of, a lot of older people, they, they look maybe not in the latest style, the latest fashion because they, they're going for comfort. So again, comfort doesn't always cost as much as fashion, high fashion does. I can get behind that. So number nine is, and this one, I love this one. This one is fantastic. Number nine is part-time employment will provide more than just supplemental income. I've been told this by a few people. So if you're, I'm retiring at age 55 and people are saying, don't do full stop retirement. Meaning, you know, I hate 55. I'm not working anymore. People are warning me, do not do that. Full stop retirement is an emotional shock to the system. They're, they're telling every, everybody is telling me this get a part-time job at something that's really low stress just to occupy your time occupy your time and get you out in the community on a regular basis so they're saying do not do full stop so i'm saying you know in determining your your cost base in retirement assume that you're gonna again i my mind says when i'm done working i'm just it's it's gonna be this this really long vacation but everyone's saying that gets old really fast so you, you can't work for 30 years and then just stop. It, it, it's, it's apparently a shock to your system. And I, I, even at my age, I'm 53, I'm still struggling to digest that as truth. But, it's, but you know what? If I believe the people telling me you spend less in retirement than you think, then why wouldn't I believe the same people about this, right? right. I, I, can't, I can't pick and choose the advice I'm taking from these people. I either believe in them or I don't. Right. And we actually had a listener write in reflecting that same, um, same, same, same sentiment that. Yeah. Ron wrote in a longtime fan of ours or a longtime listener. And he wrote in saying, you know, wean yourself off your job, you know, or, or find part-time employment, find something to occupy your time. So I'm saying, you know, when you're determining your cost base, don't discount the fact that you might earn a part-time income. Uh, while you're retired. So uh, I'm also keeping that in mind. I'm, I might take a, a vacation for a year, but then I'm probably going to do something in my community to keep me busy, keep me occupied. And I just might make money doing it. And in the same breath as point number nine, number 10, and the final consideration that we should really think through when returning, determining our cost based in retirement is you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. Yeah. So Event, this obviously doesn't go to forever. Like if, if you're 85 years old, I don't like, I'm not saying you can't, but I don't like your chances of landing a job, right? Like you're, you're becoming less and less marketable with every passing year in terms of the job market. But I, I'm saying don't go all in on money because because the, the winner isn't the person with the most money in the cemetery, right? It's the person who enjoyed life the most. So don't, don't just do math on when I should retire. Like you, you have to enjoy life. I mean, it's, I think that's, that's important here. So in, in looking at your cost base for retirement, don't, don't build in so many luxuries that you end up working until 70 
and be miserable. So he, I, I just think you can't make more time. Every once that time is gone, it's gone for good. So if you work till you're seventy, and then on your deathbed you wish you were to had more time with your family and your grandchildren, you can't get that back. And in conjunction with that point. In, in in terms of uh, taking on full time or part time employment instead of a full top stop retirement, I I think it's so powerful too that, I mean, y- while you don't need all, I guess you can leave your current job before. So so for you, Trevor, for instance, you you probably have plans to kind of leave the job you've been kind of working at steadily to take on maybe more rewarding or a different type of, of challenge, kind of a different job. And I think this point is, is, is so powerful because it's, it's, it's a little bit more probably I'm sure reassuring knowing that you don't have to make all the money possibly will ever need before you retire. Well, here's the trap I fall into a lot. And my wife reminds me of this all the time when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little nervous about retiring early. She keeps reminding me, she says, that's not the only job that exists. I know you've been doing it for a long time, but just say you retire and don't like it. You can always get another job, but you get kind of, the longer you work somewhere. So I've worked the same place for 22 years and you start to forget that you could work somewhere else, right? It, you you kind of lose perspective. And at the age of, well, when you are 55, I mean, you you still have so many in, incredible marketable skills that are transferable to, I'm sure, a multitude of, of maybe different types of stress jobs. Well, in the eyes of the average employer, at 55, I got 10 good years left in me, right? Little do they know. But yes, no, def- <laughs> definitely. No, definitely. So those are considerations, the 10 considerations you've put together, Trevor, in determining your cost base in retirement. And so so those are kind of the cost base. And now I want to talk about sources of retirement income. You've created a list of five things here. And my guess is that these are Canadian specific. Yeah. And if somebody else has has another uh, source of income, it's probably pretty obscure and and maybe not available to everybody. So I think these five are pretty inclusive. So I'll kind of list all five just to give us an idea of, of the list we're running through, and then we'll go back in and break them all down. So we have uh, number one is pension plans. Number two is retirement savings. Number three is government pensions. Number four is other investments. And lastly is inheritance. So number one, pension plans. So so I just want to say these are kind of listed in in how certain these are to very uncertain. So in, I, I wouldn't plan on inheritance ever, <laughs> but pension plans are, are pretty certain. So, so the first one is a pension plan. So in Canada, pension plans kind of, kind of come in two, two uh, flavors. You've got the defined benefit pension plan, and that's the one that you, you put in uh, so many years of service with the company. Generally it's 30. And then you get this defined benefit, meaning you get this guaranteed amount paid to you until you die. And it's generally, it's 70% of your pre-retirement income. So if you made $65,000, you, you you could expect to, and you worked there for 30 years, you could expect to get 70% of that in a pension. And the other kind of pension plan in, in Canada is called a defined contribution plan. So this is, an employer makes a contribution toward a uh, an investment, like an, a mutual fund or whatever is set up in your organization, 
And if with every paycheck, they make a contribution of say 5%. And then as an employee, you got an opportunity to match that with another 5%. So in essence, you'd have 10% of your earnings put away every year toward retirement. So that, and then once you retire, you could only just say you worked only 25 years, that money's yours to spend as you want. Obviously with a defined benefit plan, uh, it, you don't care what the markets do and the money's never going to run out with a defined contribution pension plan. You do care how the markets perform because it kind of affects how much money you're going to have to spend in retirement. And if you spend it too aggressively, it could run out and you could end up with nothing. So those are the kind of the two, the pension plans available to, uh, if there's another kind, I'm not really aware of it. So my big question with, with uh, resource of retirement income, number one here, pension plans, we are shifting into a society of, of entrepreneurs and, and maybe in other kind of positions and jobs where pension plans maybe aren't a thing that is incorporated into, um, into someone's kind of work environment. So when with pension plans listed as number one, should we be looking for jobs that offer pension plans or, or how can we be compensating? I know retirement savings is number two in our list, but if this is a, if this is number one, how are we compensating? In Canada today, there's a fewer and fewer companies are offering pension plans to their employees. That, that that's a known fact. And if you if there is in the private sector, if there is a pension plan, it's generally going to be the defined contribution pension plan because it's less of a liability for the company. If you work for the government, it's they're almost I think exclusively defined benefit pension plans. So. The employer is a the government is a pretty large employer in the country of Canada, so they they employ a, a lot of people. So I think defined benefit pension plans are a, they're a dying breed in the private sector, but a lot of people still have access to them. But if you don't have that, then uh, obviously we move down to number two on the list. And number two is retirement savings. So retirement savings is is tax-sheltered savings. So you, it's, it's money you earn today that you put into an RRSP, which is a retired registered retirement savings plan, or a TFSA, which is a tax-free savings account. And those two differ a little bit. A retirement, an RRSP, it reduces your taxable income in the year you make the contribution into that investment tool. And you you get a, often, quite often a, a, a tax return because of it. And the TFSA is it's taxed it's taxed money that goes into a, an investment that that grows tax free. So with the RSP, when you when you do retire, and you you take the money out of there. You are taxed. Your your income is taxed at the time you withdraw the money. With the tax free savings account, you put in uh, dollars that have already been taxed go into that, but it grows tax free. So there's all sorts of limitations and restrictions to how much you can put into these. They're available everywhere. You can look them up. They change year by year. But uh, this is this is going to be the retirement tool for most people your age is is contributing on your own. This this takes a lot of discipline to put money in into these investment tools. Be proactive like that. Do you mind sharing with our listeners your experience or your journey using um, retirement savings or either of these tools? Well, I've been contributing to TFSAs are relatively new, but I've been contributing to an RSP my pretty much my whole working life. As as I become an empty nester and debt free, with all that extra money, I've been contributing more and more. The tax free savings account again when it started up, I contributed to that as well. 
So number three is is government pensions. So in Canada, there's okay. I'll, I'll exclude Quebec because they have a, a, the Quebec pension plan. But in in Canada as a whole, you've got the CPP Canada Pension Plan and OAS Old Age Security. So CPP, there's this very com- like a very complicated calculation to figure out how much you're entitled to. Uh, they they have a thing called the maximum, which nobody's really entitled to. It 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 it. It, you would have had to contribute the maximum CPP amount off your paycheck at age 18 up to age 65 in order to get it. So most people, they, they don't, they're not making the, the amount enough at age 18 to make the maximum contribution. So that's the reason nobody gets the max. You can take CPP at age, as early as age 60. Most people, the average, I, I think for a lot of people is age 65 when they stop working. Uh, and you can take it as late as 70. It, you're really gambling with the government, right? I, I suggest if you're going to retire by age 60, you take your CPP at age 60. And unless you're, you have a, a known health problem and you know you're going to have a relatively short life. I actually, you know what? I think everyone should take it at 60. I, I, I can't think of a reason why I wouldn't, unless you don't need the money. And then OAS is you get it at age 65 and it's based on your, how long you've, You've had to live in Canada basically your whole life. And if you've lived in Canada less than 40 years, then it's prorated. So uh, there's, again, you can go to the government websites and get all the calculations. But I'm going to say, I, I looked this up. So the average CPP benefit in Canada in 2018, and I'm sure somebody's going to find something that contradicts this, but I mean, is $640 a month. And the 2018 uh, old age security benefit was $587 a month in 2018. So together that, that adds up. So if you retired at, at age 65, you would have $1,227 a month. And if you're married, you have a spouse times that by two, you, you could have a, a government pension of around $29,000. So that, that's a good starting point in retirement. It's probably not going to give you a comfortable retirement, but it would uh, go a long way to covering those survival expenses I was talking about. So you mentioned CPP only starts at 60. So what kind of wrench does that throw in yours and your wife's retirement plan? So obviously, if we're retiring at 55, I have to figure out a way to fund my life from age 55 to 60. So obviously, I, I have the savings to do that. So it's it's been built in. So it's not it's not going to take you by surprise. It's 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 a part of the plan that you've kind of acknowledged. Well, and so age fifty five to sixty is going to be the most expensive part of my retirement as well. No, and that's fair. But again, you've kind of designed your retirement life to look like that. Yes, I have. Yeah. So so number four is other investments. What is this? What could this entail? And and then what does this look like for for you personally? So this would be the non tax sheltered investments. Say you have a rental property uh, and it provides a rental income or just investments in the mar- in the market that are not tax sheltered with an RRSP or a TFSA. So you could have other investments. Uh, you know, if you've maxed out your RRSP and TFSA every year and you still have extra money left to invest, this would be unsheltered investments. Probably the most common one is real estate. So rental properties is, is it would be a common... I know a few people that have rental properties. So that's an other investment. So it, it, it represents an investment in two ways. One is it's giving these people a stream of income as in the people pay their rent. They, they get that as a stream of income and the property is appreciating. So they could eventually sell this property for far more than they bought it for. 
and, and that represents a source of income. And lastly, we have number five for our fifth source of retirement income is inheritance. And I think you mentioned at the beginning that this is not one we should rely on. And I think the reasons are, are, are pretty apparent. So you know how I said earlier, everyone seems to plan for the worst when they're saving for retirement. And as a result, they end up leaving an inheritance. Yes. Well, I, I think you should never, ever count on an inheritance. I mean, it, they never build that into your plan ever. Unless, unless you are like, I, I, I can't think of a good reason to build it in, right? It's, it's kind of morbid too, right? You're waiting for someone to pass on so you can have their money. But chances are there is an inheritance of some kind in your future. Because if you, okay, here's what I'm going to give it. If you are a person, unless you're a legacy breaker, meaning your family did poor financial planning, just, just say you're going to retire early like I am. So the, if, if I'm of somebody who can retire early and I got those skills from my family, from my parents and my grandparents, then chances are there's there's an inheritance in my future. Now, I, I do have a question after going through this list. You talked about how you're an empty nester now, and I'm sure the contributions to retirement, like you said, have, have been increased. But over your entire life of, of contributing or even thinking about retirement, how has, how has that kind of curve looked with with contributions to your retirement because i'm sure it, it hasn't always been maybe consistent consistent just because you did you did have a family you were supporting a family through through the post-secondary journey and and just kind of just life so here's a thing where people so i paid off my mortgage when mortgage rates were at, at record lows and i remember there was an expression out there that says you can't, the interest rates are so low you can't afford to not have a mortgage and what that meant was you should not pay down your mortgage. You should be investing money in the market because the interest rates are so low on your mortgage that the math says that you should invest your money in, and make the minimum payments on your mortgage. That, that's, that was the, the sound mathematical log, logic. Well, everyone knows who listens to this. I'm a very cautious person. I chose to pay off my debt super aggressively and make minimal contributions to my RSPs and, 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 and retirement savings and, and get the debt out of my life because I knew, again, behaviorally, I would conduct myself differently not having any debt in my life, getting the risk out of my life. And then, so when I retired, I ramped, sorry, when I paid off my mortgage and my debts, I ramped up my retirement savings. I The money I was using to aggressively pay down my mortgage, I then See, I didn't spend any more money. I took that same aggressive mortgage payment and put it into investments. So that's how I sort of conducted myself. So you're right. It wasn't this steady flow. I, I've always made contributions, but I really ramped it up when I became debt-free. So in saying all of this, I mean, you speak with a lot of conviction and passion and, and confidence towards your retirement plan and your retirement timeline. But at what point ha were were you kind of knowing that you were going to successfully meet your your age fifty five retirement? So here's a little trick I, I did: is just say you wanted to lose weight. I would su suggest you tell everybody you know your weight loss goal, and if they're really, if you have a strong circle and, and people that care about you, they will they will, in a nice way, hold you accountable. So 
I told everybody who would listen <laughs> that I am retiring at 55. And a lot of people would check in on me and say, you know, how's that going? And I would say it's going well. So I told everybody and anybody who would listen of my retirement goal at 55, I'm at the point where I, even if I wanted to to not do that, I, I don't think I could. Because you have all these accountability partners just just keeping you accountable. And, you know, I would only keep, keep working because of one of the, uh, you know, I, my flawed thinking and I would have, I would be planning for the worst. That's the only reason I would continue to work is because I am planning for the worst. And I, I refuse to do that because the worst has yet to show up. Yeah, that's, that's something that it's, it's a powerful tool. So Trevor, that brings us to the end of today's episode on how much do you need to retire. All the numbers that we talked about during the show will be in the show notes so you can refer back to them if you kind of maybe had trouble following along with Trevor's um, very heavy number-based explanation. Yeah, numbers don't make for great audio. They don't, but it's, I think, a very important piece to include within this episode. And, and that's why I use sort of high-level general numbers and not like I would work out very... You know, to the decimal. Exactly. On that note, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. If you have any insights or maybe what worked for you to retire, how you are tackling your retirement plan, let us know. You can always reach out to us through our contact submission form on our website or through email, both of which will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. We can't wait to have you back here with us next week for a brand new episode. Until then, keep it simple. 